I'll just imagine that I am. I need I need the support of this lectern for notes and notebook and all that, iPad and all that that I carry around. So I'm gonna I'm gonna refresh your minds tonight on the the uh, teaching of Jesus, our High Priest in the order of Melchizedek. And this will be very informal. I've already preached two messages on it, and in that book, both of them are transcribed. They're in the book as I preach them, written for them as I preach them, not like writing a book, but like talking. That's in the book there. Both of those those sermons or messages are on CD also. So the two CDs in there are part one and part two. I did it for two Wednesday nights. And there's a, a CD in there that I've rich doing music. And... Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a great tool for study. If you don't read it now, there will come a time somebody asks you a question about that, and you will want to know about it. So if you have that book tonight, you don't have to have it to do anything here tonight. But if, you, if you have it, you might want to refer to it sometime. I'm not going to go by that book and what I'm saying tonight. Um, so if you think of something as I'm talking, and you want to ask a question, I'll give you, all along, I'll give you a chance to ask questions. And you just write it down and have it ready for me. We'll have Rich up here taking a microphone back to for people to ask the question so we can all hear it and try to respond to it. And uh, they set a precedent, you know, in this, and we had these last last four times. They, they, kept, they kept staying longer and longer each time on, you know. We stopped at 8.20, then we went to 8.30, then we went to 8.40, then we went to 8.45, so. I guess tonight I have to go longer than that to stay up with the trend. You know. But I won't. Now, wait just a minute. I think I put this on silent. No, I did not get my reminder of that because I, I don't ever like for that to happen. It will surely rain. I'm going to put it right here. I don't have to walk very far. Okay. Now, Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? Because... The book of Hebrews, where this is really delineated in fine-tuned teaching, is written to the Hebrews. And there has to be a justification for Jesus to be the high priest of Israel, the high priest of the Christian faith, high priest of the believers. And, and the order of Melchizedek establishes that for Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'll make it clear to you how that happens, why that is true. It's, it's also true that for us to exercise this one of the strongest tenets of the Protestant faith, that is the priesthood of all believers, we have to have a high priest to be in accordance with the Scripture. You and I are all priests unto God. That means we have personal access to Him. If you're in the Catholic Church... You have to go to God through the priest. Same thing's just about true in the Episcopal Church. And when you have a church that says they have a priest instead of a pastor, they may say pastor-priest. But priest really means that how strong they are on it is determined by them. But, but priest means that that person is the one who carries your message to God for you. And supposedly that's why the Catholic priest can pronounce forgiveness of sins and all that. Okay, so so it's important for us to know the scriptural validity of Jesus, our high priest. Having him as our high priest 
means that we, through him as individual priests, can come to the Father by him. Now, Hebrews makes this very clear, what I'm saying to you. But I'm going to start off tonight, that's just to let you know why it's important, and just a part of why it's important, to understand that Jesus is our high priest. And that he had three offices that Father God appointed to him. And that those three offices were prophet, priest, and king. I preached a message a while back on Jesus the king. I took two Wednesday nights to talk about Jesus, our high priest. Sometime, I don't know when, I'll preach a message on Jesus, the prophet holding the office of prophet, and maybe we'll put them all together and let you just have them as a collection. It's important for us to, to know these things because the ministry of Jesus Christ is supported by all of the scriptures, the Old Testament scripture as well as the New Testament scriptures. We all say that the, uh, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And it's basically true. So, knowing the importance of the position of high priest is, 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 a, is a good foundation for us to start. Now, what I'm telling you right now, I never brought up in the two Wednesday nights that I preached on this here. I didn't. I don't think I discussed it at any time during that because I didn't have a chance. I was taking two nights to do it anyway. I couldn't get everything in. I'm gonna start off with something like this brand new. Not that was. Not, it was not presented in the other two Wednesday nights. And it is this: the Jewish people held the high priest of their religion, of Judaism, in high esteem. It was an elevated office. It was. I, I try to stop this popping somehow. I don't know what it is. I've got the little screen up here. So, um, what was I saying? The high priest. Okay. Jesus, the high priest. It's important that, 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 uh, that, the, that we understand the esteem with which the Jews, in which the Jews held the high priest. I won't make the comparison that it's like the Pope, because I think the Pope is totally unscriptural anyway, but I'm not trying to be negative about anything here. I'm just, just telling you, just say it. That's what it is. It's, it is not just, that's a true statement. It, it, there's some basis of truth in Catholicism, but, but essentially it operates and is founded on a false and fallacious doctrine. Even the high priest was not given the authority that the Pope was given. But for for somewhat a bit of a comparison, let me say to you that the, the Jews of Israel in Jesus' time and long before that held the high priest in the highest of esteem. Uh, it, maybe it mattered to them what kind of life he lived, whether he was moral or immoral, or whether he was faithful or unfaithful or righteous or unrighteous. Maybe it mattered to some of them. But to many of them, it didn't. Just like it doesn't really matter. It hasn't for many for, for centuries. Hasn't mattered about the leadership of churches that we that we're aware of now. But the high priest uh, was was highly re, highly revered, highly esteemed in Israel. He had a, he had a position above and beyond all others in the religion of Judaism, and it basically was like this. What the priest says goes. What the high priest says, that's what it is. 
may not match up with what you think or what everybody else has voted for or anything else, but what he says, that's what goes. He had a council of the Sanhedrin, and they pretty much did what he told them to do. You find some references to that in the, in the Scripture. The, the high priest and his, let me call them his closest cronies, controlled the Sanhedrin. And, and they were the ones who led people into revolt against Jesus and, and really pushed against him and, 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 and uh, put out the underpinnings of the feelings and the uh, attitudes of the people that, that led to his crucifixion. Now, I'm saying all that to tell you something particularly about the high priest. I'm going to read now from John chapter 11. This is uh, uh, verses, um, John chapter 11, starting at verse 49. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can write it down if you want to refer to later. If you've got your book, just make a note in one of the columns there if you want to. This is not something I talked about on the two Wednesday nights previously. But this now, let me tell you what's going on. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He's taught the people, I am the resurrection and life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's making the statement and, and proclaiming himself to be the Son of God. He's proclaiming, proclaiming himself to the people to be eternal life. And he's proven that by raising Lazarus from the dead. And there were people who got very disturbed about that, led by the high priest. They were very agitated, very, very discomfited because of this. And they wanted to find a way to destroy him. And, and uh, so I'm going to read a little bit more than I had planned to here so you can follow me and, and write down. This is uh, John chapter 11, starting at the verse 45. So many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, what Jesus did when he raised Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, the chief priests, the high-level priests, and the high priests, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, the Sanhedrin, and they said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, now you see the motive that the priests and the council had to destroy Jesus. They said, if we leave him alone, and he keeps performing miracles, and the crowds keep following him, and his following grows, there's going to be a rebellion, and the, and, and the Romans are going to come to put it down and squelch this, and when they do, they will take away our nation, they'll take away our religion, and they'll take away our jobs and our position and our incomes. Don't think they didn't have personal motivation in it. So now, so now this is where they stand, and, and, and they are uh, highly concerned about it. But one of them, I'm going on now, and this is verse 49. And that's the one that you are seeing up there right now. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, the ultimate in the, Judaism, in, the, in the Jewish religion, the high priest said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, 
Keep in mind, these people, they were, they were wringing their hands. What shall we do? They knew it was wrong to foster a man's death. They knew it was wrong to have a man murdered, to kill someone. They were wrestling with the moralism of that. What shall we do? We don't, what can we do besides have him killed? But that's not right. And so the high priest is telling them, it's all right. It's better that one man die than that the whole nation be destroyed. We lose all we, lose all we have. So it's better for one man to die. So reconcile that with your conscience. Let's go ahead and get rid of him. Read it again. But one of them, Caiaphas, high priest, that you said to them, this is what he said. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Then he he went on, uh, and John goes on to explain. And John says, Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now, Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying. He thought he was saying to them, it's all right for us to kill him. See, they, because from that time on, they made plans to put him to death. After he said that, he was saying, it's, it's better for one for us to have to kill Jesus of Nazareth. And instead of being guilty of murder, we'll be saviors of the state. We can't get rid of him, and we'll save our nation. It's better for one man to die and the nation to survive. So he's, it's in effect, it's one man dying for everybody. That was the rationalization to put out there. And that's what Caiaphas thought he was saying. But John says he didn't know what he was saying. He had actually been given a prophecy. Why? Not because he was a good man. Because he had to occup- he occupied the position of high priest in Israel. So, so the Spirit of God gave him this prophetic message that one man should die for the nation. And Jesus did, not the way they did when they crucified him. But he died not to save the nation from the Romans and from taking over their religion. He died to save the world. He died to save Israel. He died to save all people. He died to save the Samaritans. and died to save the Greeks and all the Gentiles. Everybody, including us. But Caiaphas didn't know he was making that prophecy. So he made the prophecy thinking he was talking about one thing, believing he was saying one thing, when he actually was saying another by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm, I'm making this point only to let you know that, that God had this man in a high position. At this point in time, Judaism was an in, a religion instituted by the Lord in the law. And so Father God honored him as high priest and gave him this. He actually, Caiaphas unknowingly, began the preaching of the gospel about Jesus' death sacrifice and the, and the power and plan of redemption right here when he said this. But that, and God chose him to do it because he honored and revered. God honored the high priest. So I'm telling you that the high priest of Israel to the Israelites was more important than Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He was, he was the chief man of the land. Top dog. Okay. So now, knowing how the Hebrews revered the high priest, how they acknowledged him, came close to worshiping him. And, and, and it was extreme, he was extremely important to them as a sign of the person who represented them to God and represented God to them. There were many things that were 
available only to the high priest. But one of the things was this. On the Day of Atonement, the one day of the year, and they celebrated the Passover. They were still celebrating the Passover, remember, in, the, in Jesus' day. That's why the Bible says, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. So, so when, you, when he went in, they went into the temple to offer sacrifices. They did this regularly, but on the Day of Atonement, they went and offered sacrifices, not just for that day, that week, that month. They offered sacrifices for all the sins of the year that had been overlooked and not atoned for and not forgiven. Make sure they covered every base. And that was the law that God gave them. On the Day of Atonement, he was to go in. So the high priest went in to take the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Hebrews is going to later on make it very, very clear that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he went into the holy place, into the inner, inner, inner circle of the, of the Holy of Holies. By his own blood, not by the blood of another lamb, but by his own blood is the Lamb of God. Contrary to the way the high priest of Israel worked. So the high priest of Israel was entitled to go into the Holy of Holies. Only one man, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And that was the high priest, and he could only go on the Day of Atonement. It was so strict a symbol of God's almighty presence with his people that when the high priest went in, remember that veil that was torn when Jesus died on the cross? And the veil was, the blackness came and the thunder and the earthquake and the, the veil in the temple was torn in two. It ran in twain, torn in two from the top to the bottom, it says, from the top to show that God did it, not man. That veil about 18 inches thick, side to side, no way to slip through it, no openings, and it just sit, it completely shut off the Holy of Holies. I hope that you have grasped this. I don't really have time to tell you how the layout of the temple, but when you go to the outer court and, the, and, and, the, and, and then you went into step by step all the furniture that you, that you passed by, the altars and the uh, the uh, laver where they washed their hands. In. And then they came, when they came into the holy place, where there was the table of showbread and the, and the candles and, and, uh, and, the, and not the Ark of the Covenant. I can't remember what was right in the middle. Three things across there. And, and, and then there was this solid, about 18-inch thick veil that shut off the next compartment which was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the holy, sanctified, sacred presence of God. And if anybody went into that Holy of Holies during the year, and just anybody slipped in and wanted to see it, God struck them dead. And if the high priest had gone in any time other than the Day of Atonement, he would have been struck dead. And if he went in any way other than the way God commanded, he would have been struck dead. But they knew all this. So to go in, the high priest had to sprinkle the blood of a lamb, get it on his fingertips or on a branch, and uh, he had to sprinkle himself with the blood. And then he went to go into the Holy of Holies. He had to lift up the corner of the veil. And lift it up and, and slip in, not through an opening, not through a door, but through a, where he lifted the corner of the veil. By permission from, from God, he slipped in. And all of this is to show that man has no right to come into the presence of God. 
that nobody's, nobody has any authority to come into the presence of God. The only way the high priest could do it, even the high priest, the only way he could do that, the very direct, unlimited presence of God in the Holy of Holies, was to come in like a usurper, like somebody who had no right to go in, who had to lift up the corner and slip in. I guess I may be talking more about the tabernacle and the temple now than I am about, but I'll get to the Melchizedek part of it in a minute. So to get in, in, he had to lift up the, and slip in under the corner and sprinkle the blood of the lamb that had been slain on the altar of the Ark of the Covenant after sprinkling on himself first. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the, the contrast is Jesus went into the heavenly holy of holies, not by the blood of another, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place. Once into the holy place. As the high priest once into the holy place. Jesus says it once, but the high priest had to do it every year. Jesus did it one time. One time. One sacrifice. One time. Brought to the eternal holy of holies in the presence of Father God forever. Once and for all, is what Hebrew says. He offered the sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice was his own blood. Not by the blood of another. By his own blood he entered once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Is what it says in Hebrews. So now, I'm, all of this I'm talking about the high priest of Israel so that you will get a concept, hopefully, of how, in, how significant and how important it was when Paul began to teach that we can all come to God. They didn't believe that before. They had to, they had to get somebody to offer a, a lamb or a turtle dove or offer a sacrifice for them to come in. They couldn't come on their own. They had to get a priest to do it for them. Now Paul is teaching in the New Testament that every one of us can come. Because now Jesus has entered once into the holy place, not by the blood of another, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And because of that, now we have direct access to the Holy of Holies. Not the earthly Holy of Holies, that's gone now. But the heavenly Holy of Holies is still there, the presence where the throne of God sits. And we have access to the very throne of God. Personal, individual access to the throne of God because God has made us priests and kings unto God our Father. We're priests unto Him. Now, that's the significance of the high priest. We can't be priests if there's no high priest. So Jesus is appointed and anointed as the high priest, not only of Israel, but of all the people of all time who will come to Him, come to God the Father by faith. He is the high priest forever. I'm I'm really teaching you from Hebrews now without reading from it. I will read from Hebrews in in a couple of minutes. Now, okay, I'm at a a break point here. While I catch my breath, if this is maybe a good time because I'm going to move on to something else now, move into Jesus, how he qualifies as the high priest, but only in the order of Melchizedek. That's how he qualifies as high priest. And now the book comes into play because that's really what I dealt with. And you'll see all of that in writing, but I'll also tell it to you and explain it to you. Anything about what I've set up to now you want to ask me about? I don't promise you can answer every question. Maybe I can't answer any of them, but but I'll try to answer if you have one. Yes, Gloria. Let, let me make sure I hear it. I know his blood and oh no. Jesus? Jesus. Okay. Well, I'm going to say that's, um, 
that's a symbolic expression that he did that because they all knew exactly the pattern of the high priest. So in Paul's writing about, or, or I say Paul, I always say Paul when I talk about Hebrews, because, but, it, but there are scholars who say he didn't write it. Uh, I've got that disclaimer. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say Paul. When Paul wrote to the Hebrews explaining this, he knew he was talking to people who knew all this. So he's using language that they understand. I won't say that Jesus literally took his blood from Calvary and had to take it up, but, but, but he certainly shed his blood so that it could be applied, as the high priest did, to the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, which God required. God required the sacrifice of blood for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. No other way for that to happen. And the, and the Scripture makes that clear. The people who don't believe that and don't understand it, they, they just really don't know the Bible. They read a verse in it, and they think Jesus was a good man. He never claimed to be the Son of God. Anybody that you ever say, that, oh, well, Jesus was really a good man, but he never really claimed to be the Son of God. You can say it to them if you want to, and I'll help you back it up, or you can just think it. They don't know what they're talking about. If he claimed anything, that's the reason they killed him. If he claimed anything, he was claiming constantly that he was the Son of God. He was asked that direct question by, by, uh, by uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and by Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest, Annas, who had been the high priest in years past. He was asked that question, and, and Jesus did not deny it. In fact, that, so that's what enraged him so much. You know, all the way back to his first, uh, uh, first expression of that, when he appeared in the synagogue of Nazareth right after he came out of the wilderness from the temptation. I had to explain this in Israel because our God didn't understand it and didn't know it. I'm, not curious, I'm just saying. I wanted to explain this after we went to the, uh, we went to the, uh, well, we didn't go to the synagogue. We went to Nazareth. No, no. Yes, no, I, I got it right. Okay, I got it. We went to Nazareth, and we didn't go into the town, and we didn't see the synagogue of Nazareth, or even where they claimed that it existed. We didn't see it. We went out climbing outside of Nazareth and climbed up on the top of a, a real hill. I think the climb, I, I think our, I think our guide was a mountain climber. I, I, but he, he took us up the mountain, and, and he said, what do you think? It was this hill that they were going to throw him off, or was it that one over there? I'm standing thinking, I don't care. I don't, that's, not, that's not the significance of the story. That's not the significance of the message. The significance of the message was that Jesus walked into the synagogue of Nazareth on that Sabbath day. And they, knowing he was a teacher, gave him the scriptures to read. He'd just come back from meeting the temptation, his first public experience and presence after he came back, was there in Nazareth. And they gave him the scriptures to read. So he read from Isaiah, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to her. And he was saying, they understood he was saying that about himself. This, this, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. So at the very beginning of his ministry, why do you think that they were so nice to him? And come on in, you're one of us, you're from Nazareth, you're Joseph's boy. We know you're a good teacher. Come on, and read, this, read the scriptures to us today and expound on them. And we'll be so happy because we like to have one of our own, one of our good old boys, and Jesus took the, took the scroll of the scriptures, and he began to read it. And where is it, Isaiah 58? He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring deliverance to people. And, and, and they know, they realize that the way he said, he's talking about this. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me to do this. And they become enraged at him in a, in a quick flash, in a sudden. 
They didn't just talk about it. And when he started saying that, they, they all of them, rose up in rage against him. That, that doesn't happen. Turn from day to night instantly without a reason. And the reason was he was saying, I'm the son of God. I'm the one that he was talking about when he wrote this scripture. And they wanted to kill him. So they went and grabbed him and took him out. They were hauling him out to a hill outside of Nazareth. That's why our guide wants to decide which hill it was. I didn't care which hill it was. Because what, what I'm saying, this is the point of what happened and why that's in the fourth chapter of Luke. Explaining why Jesus was teaching in that synagogue. This is the important thing. He made his statement. He represented himself as the son of God. And they rose up to kill him because of it. And, and it was only because the spirit of the Lord delivered him out of their hands and, and took him away from that hill where they were going to throw him down and, and murder him. That he was able to escape. So, so um, I forgot where I was right now because I'm not talking from notes. And so, <laughs> uh, I, I get it. Sometimes I get on something, I get really excited about it myself, and I have to kind of rein myself in a little bit. But so, so now here we are. For some reason, I'm there talking about Nazareth, and and again, Jesus presenting Himself as the Son of God, and he, we're going to talk about how He's our High Priest. But so, Gloria had a question, and she asked, "Who else has a question at this point?" You want to ask about anything I've said up to now? Anybody? See, when I talk and ask for questions and nobody has a question, I don't know it's because I haven't said enough to give anybody interest in it or not, or I've explained it so thoroughly nobody can ask, think of a question. I, I never know which way. But if it's okay, I'll go on. Ready to go? Okay. All right. So now you've got a little bit more that's in your book here. So let's talk about Jesus now, you know why Jesus has to be our high priest. That's the reason I was saying all this about the high priest. You know why Jesus must be our high priest. We don't have a priesthood without Jesus. We have no basis, no reason to come to God. You and I don't have, I'm not because I'm Bill Register and the pastor of First Assembly. He's going to, yeah, come on in, Bill. Yeah, that's not it. I can only come to, why do you think he said come to him in Jesus' name? We come to him through Jesus. And that's what Hebrews teaches us. Because Jesus has opened the word, paved the way, and now the scripture says he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That's our high priest. And because of that, we can come now as priests unto God. You know, this is the basis of why Martin Luther was thrown out of the Catholic Church back in the, what, the 1500s, when the Reformation started. He nailed his 95 theses to the wall of Wittenberg Cathedral. And uh, they they said they would charge him as a heretic and excommunicate him from the church if he didn't take it down and recant what he said. And he would not do it. He stood by it because it was the, the just shall live by faith, not by works, not by tradition, not by the indulgences that the Catholic Church priests were selling. The just shall live by faith. And in that, he address the priesthood of all believers. So now, because Jesus is our high priest, you and I can come, go to prayer tonight, we can kneel down, we go to get home and say, Heavenly Father, I know you hear me when I pray. I, I'm, I'm going to be praying in Jesus' name. And so it isn't because of me that I have access to come boldly to the throne of God. It is because of Jesus that I have that. So, we are...
priest. Every one of us is a, a priest to somebody who can go and talk to God and make the priest. And that's why you can intercede for others because you're a priest for those who are not. So Jesus was not qualified to be a priest in Israel. Now, this was a stumbling block for the Jews. It was a contention among them because the only people who could be priests in Israel, the high priest had to be of the lineage of Aaron, the first high priest with Moses. And not only that, they had the, well, the, the line of Levi comes from the line of Asaph. It became known as the Levitical priesthood from all the tribe of Levi. So, so all the priests who could go in the temple and minister in the temple and offer the sacrifices and carry on the work of bringing the people to God, all the priests had to be of the tribe of Levi. They had to be able to justify their lineage, prove that they went back through their genealogy, that they traced all the way back to the tribe of Levi. Otherwise, they couldn't be a priest. They had to be born into the Levitical family and had to be able to trace their heritage so that it could be proven that they were, the, they were of the tribe of Levi, or they did not qualify to be priests in Israel. Now, so do you know why Jesus wasn't qualified to be a priest in Israel, why they all leave? He can't be our priest, much less our high priest. You know why? Because he wasn't, he wasn't of the what tribe was he of. He was a tribe of Judah, exactly. And, and so and nobody from the tribe of Judah had ever been a priest, much less a high priest. And so Paul is going to tell people how this comports with the plan of Father God. And that's what he begins to explain when he talks about the, the, the lineage or the heritage or the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek is first mentioned in the Bible in, uh, in the book of Genesis, um, chapter, uh, chapter 5. Is it chapter 5? I believe I'm right. Um, and and I'll, I'll, So Abram, or Abraham, met him uh, at, at, the, uh, at the time when he was returning. Uh, kings had attacked Lot, his nephew, and there was a contention, but Abraham got together some of his friends, uh, high-leading men. They went against the people who had attacked them and uh, won the battle, destroyed the, the those who had come against the, his lineage, against uh, Abraham's family. And uh, on his way back to his home place from the battlefield, on his way back, he, uh, he uh, uh, encountered a man that he did not know. He was, um, he, was, he was a man, let me see if I'm in chapter 5, I'm just, I'm, I'm, all of this tonight, I'm, I'm doing my memory, so I may have, maybe it's, maybe it's chapter 4. What is it, 12? Oh, it's, it, like I said, it's chapter 12. <laughs> okay. Yeah, chapter 12, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so he, he, he proclaims his blessing upon Abraham. And uh, is it chapter 12? Yeah, it's not 12, I see. Okay. Well, don't tell me four or three or more different ones because I'll never find it. Oh, here it is. Okay, chapter 14. You're exactly right. Ah, that's why I said four. 
Four, not four, it's 14. Brain only kicked in halfway. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here we are. Now, in verse uh, 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to Abraham and his companions, friends, fellow soldiers among them. And he blessed him. He blessed Abraham. And he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And, and uh, the, God spoke to Abram. Now, Abram, Abraham lived by the word of God. His faith was rooted in God speaking to him. He didn't have a Bible. We didn't know the Holy Spirit teaching him. God spoke to Abraham and guided his life. So when Melchizedek said what he did and blessed him and gave sustenance to Abraham, God spoke to him about this very unique man and whose name was Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem, the scripture says, and, and uh, he was a priest of God most high. So he was a priest by some authority in some order, and according to Abraham, who accepted that, that he was a priest of God Most High, it was a, it was a designation given to Melchizedek, Melchizedek by eternal God. Almighty God had said Melchizedek is a priest. Now, they, this was long before the Levitical priesthood ever existed. Long, they had no priesthood, and Abraham had no priesthood. It, it, this was before any of that came into order, before all that was established. So here this man predates all of the law and all of the activities of the priesthood in Israel. And Abraham recognized him as a man chosen of God. The Bible says there in verse 20, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now I'm going to tell you, a rich man with all kinds of spoils from about just one is not going to hand over 10% of it to just somebody that walks in, some fly-by-night cat-head preacher that says, if you give me your money, I'll see the gold rains down on you or something. He had, to, he had to recognize this man as a man of God, as a priest of God, and he knew God revealed it to him as his priest. And Abraham gave him a tenth of, all, of everything. Wow. So he, he validated Melchizedek. As a priest of God. Now, this is important because later on, there's nobody more important to the Israelites as their, as their tribe increased and, and as time went on. Nobody more, more important than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's all the family. That's the grandfather, the father, and the son, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they are the, they are the stalwarts of truth and faith to the Israelites in the time of Jesus. So when Jesus, Jesus begins to teach that, when Paul begins to teach that Jesus is the high priest, he says he is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And these people know from the Bible what that is. They knew who Melchizedek was. They would never have thought that Jesus Christ was a priest in the order, but Paul makes the case for that so that it can be established that Jesus is a high priest. Because you see, if he, were not a, if he were not a high priest, he wouldn't have the authority to enter into the heavenly holy of holies. He, because he's a supernatural high priest that he is, went into the holy of holies by his own blood, which Paul teaches clearly in Hebrews, went in by his own blood. But none of that would have been had any effect or meant anything 
to the to the Hebrews that Paul was writing that book to, the book of Hebrews, would have meant anything to them unless Paul could establish there was there was a basis, a scriptural basis, authority from God that said that Jesus of Nazareth is God's high priest. And it, and it can't be Levitical order because he wasn't born into that tribe. You see, and actually it was intentional by God. He wasn't born into that tribe so that he could be divinely chosen, divinely appointed as high priest. He wouldn't have needed that if he'd been in the tribe of Levi. That would have confused it all. But being outside the tribe, totally a new order. So when the New Testament came, the Old Testament was abrogated, fulfilled. The New Testament came into place. Now people were saved by the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection of the dead. And that one who paid that price and shed his own blood becomes our high priest going into the heavenly holy of holies, taking his own blood there to offer the sacrifice for sin that makes our salvation complete and secure forever and giving us the opportunity, the privilege, the power, and authority even to come into that very same throne room as long as we come through our high priest who is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, so that's the first introduction. Of, and I may have gotten ahead of myself. It might be a good time for me to stop now and see if has, has any question come into your mind that you need to ask me about. Because right now I'm going to go on to Hebrews and uh, to the book of Hebrews, what I mean to say. And, and uh, let me see. i got to get Hebrews first. Yes. Well, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So uh, what you're saying there is the order of Melchizedek was before the Jewish nation was. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. There was no, there was really no order structure of any kind. Abraham, and you know, the, the, the Jews looked upon him as their father the father of their nation, the father of their people, and they, they, they clung to that. So it was important that Abraham, that it, that it be taught, and, and Hebrews clarifies it for them, that, that it be known and taught clearly to them that Melchizedek's authority and recognition as a high priest of God was authenticated by Abraham himself. So... So let me go in now to Hebrews and, uh, uh, let me see, is it chapter 4? Yes, that's where I was looking for chapter 4, Hebrews. <laughs> chapter 4 of Hebrews, uh, down at the very end of the chapter, this is starting with, chap- with verse 14 of chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, gone and ascended upward. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Stand on what he has told us, what what he's revealed to us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How powerful that is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There you are. Jesus the high priest. And 
and and and after the order of Melchizedek. Now it doesn't say here anything about Melchizedek, but believe me, he is going to continue and talk about Melchizedek uh, a, a great deal in the ensuing in the ensuing uh, uh, chapters of Hebrews. Let me see now the next one that I have, and here here is here's where Paul now in the New Testament substantiates. The uh, designation of Melchizedek as a high priest. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 2. And to him, that is to Melchizedek, we just read it in Genesis, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, it's important that we understand that when it says he he was without mother or father, without genealogy, there are people who said because it said he was like unto the Son of God, there are people who said, well, he was a supernatural being. He was an angel. He couldn't be an angel because if he could, he couldn't have been the high priest. <laughs> the angel was already there with access to the Father. He didn't, he's not encumbered by the things of earth. This had to fit in with just what Paul said about, about Jesus as a high priest. We don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin, because he's a man. He was completely man as well as he was totally God while he was hearing his body on earth. And so now Melchizedek is, is, is like that in that there's no record of his birth, there's no record of his death, there's no record of his mother or no record of his father. It doesn't mean he didn't have a mother and father. It means there's no record of it. So that, see, there's no way to trace his genealogy to say that by genealogy, by birth, by inheritance, he became a, a priest. He was, he was a priest who came out, ministered to Abraham. Abraham recognized the, the voice of God and designated him as a priest and gave him a tenth of everything that he had. So, so what this means is, is that, that in, in the sense of Jesus not having any heritage that qualified him to be a priest because he was the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. He... They could trace the lineage of Jesus, but didn't go back to the priesthood. And so what this means is it says that Melchizedek was without mother, without father, without genealogy. In the same sense that Jesus was. Jesus, his his genealogy could easily be traced on his human side, but that didn't qualify him to be a priest. So in the priesthood aspect, Jesus was without father, without mother, without genealogy, no proof that he could be a priest in this world because he's not of the tribe of Judah. I'm, I'm sorry, because he was not of the tribe of Levi, but was of the tribe of Judah. So, so there we have the, the first real connection of Jesus, the high priest, in the order of Melchizedek. The supernatural priest, the divinely appointed priest, how is Jesus a high priest? Because he's divinely appointed by Father God into that office. As Melchizedek was recognized by Abraham, God's representative in the earth at that time, as the priest that 
have worship, and he gave a tenth of all he had. Jesus, our high priest, is as Melchizedek was, without the record of a father, without the record of a mother, that, that qualified him for priesthood, and, and, and is a priest because God has chosen, ordained, designated Jesus of Nazareth as his high priest in the realm of glory before the eternal holy of holies and the reality of the throne of God. Am I, am I, am I clear on that? You want to ask me anything about that? I'm going to just stop saying things so clear so y'all have something to ask. So, so the, the, the end part of this is he, he was he resembling the Son of God. And, and Melchizedek remains a, high, a priest forever, not because he lived forever, but because there's no record of his death, you see. And so symbolically, I remember, that means Jesus, now fitting in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest forever. Because there's no there's no record of his death either. You know, there's a record that he died, but he didn't stay there. So he rose again from the dead. And 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 all of this, all of this comports. God set up the true message of the high priest. He set it up in the very beginning. God knew right at that time that when Jesus of Nazareth came, he would have to be the high priest for the people all of the people of his time and all the people of our time. He would have to be the high priest. And God set it up so that he could be designated the high priest, not a natural. He didn't want him to be of the, of the tribe of Levi, not a natural high priest, not an earthly high priest, not just somebody who was there because he was born into the family that was next in line to be the high priest. No, none of that. He was high priest because God, the Father, anointed him, designated, appointed him as the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There we are. Have I, you can stop me anytime. You ask a question, raise your hand. I'll stop and pause to answer it if you have anything to ask. You need to ask something because I, I, won't, I won't be able to go to 845 if somebody doesn't stop me with a question. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So so anyway, on and on. And I, uh, Hebrews is, uh, is uh, I don't even know that I marked it in chapter 11. But but again, that great faith chapter, um, um, I'm trying to find it here just a second. I'll be within a moment. Well, somewhere in here. The, 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 um, there's so many things that you know, I, most of this that I'm not doing right now because I knew I had it in this book that, that, that you have or don't have there but in that book all of these scriptures are, are given to you and told where they are I think most of them even printed out not just the references and, and so every reference that I'm not just specifically daily now for you right now I'm, I'm depending on you if for whatever you want to know to go to that book. And and you'll find a lot of answers there. Uh, in addition to the part, the part, addition to what I supported that with by telling you about the high priest in the very beginning of this message and how important that was in Israel. And so important that Paul wants to make it very clear to all of these people. And, and, and uh, I, I can't remember now what my, last, what my last reference was. Did I go to Hebrews chapter 7 or not? if I did or not. Um, 
that's the, that's the idea. That's the place that, uh, oh, here's what I didn't do. I didn't finish it. I just got in the first part of that on, in chapter 7. Needed something else to bring out to you. So, so in, again, now in chapter 7 of Hebrews, down in, on down into the chapter, chapter 7, verse 21. And there are several scriptures, several verses right here that, that I'm going to read. And uh, unless you um, bring a question to me, I'm not going to go much further than this. I'll, if you've seen anything in the book that I've not touched on tonight that you want to ask me about, bring that up too. I, just because I haven't mentioned or touched on it tonight, if it's in the book, and if you have any question you have, I'll try to answer that as well. Okay, here we are. Now, uh, down in verse 21 of chap- chapter 7 of Hebrews, he says, But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. As I said a few minutes ago, all of this when Jesus became the high priest of a New Testament, a new covenant, a new message, the message of salvation through Christ, our high priest. And he goes on to say, the former priests, the earthly priests, were many in number. The tribe of Levi was many in number. But because they were prevented by death from continuing, y'all saw they all died. He, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's forever our high priest because he lives forever. The Levitical priests all died. Every single one of them died and was planted in the ground in some form or other. But Jesus of Nazareth, the high priest of glory, the appointed one of Father God, lives forever, and our high priest never dies. We, all who came before us in the faith, those who will come after us in the faith, have access to the throne of God, bold access to the throne of God, because we can come to him in the name of Jesus, our high priest. So here he says, he goes on to say, still in chapter 7, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our high priest, not going in once a year, slipping in under the cover of the corner, the corner of the cover, slipping in like a usurper who doesn't belong there. Our high priest can make intercession for us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the month, every day of the year, without ceasing, without end, because he is not like the earthly high priest. He is a high priest at all times and forever. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, still reading from Hebrews, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And offered himself on the cross once and for all. The blood, eternal blood for eternal communication with God, eternal salvation was shed, and that provided our salvation. One final lamb, it took a lamb. All the lambs, the songwriter said, all the blood of bulls and beasts on Jewish altars slain could give not one guilty sinner peace, nor take away a stain. 
But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's a power. That's the power of his priesthood. So, for the law, going on now, still in chapter 7 of Hebrews. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Earthly, earthly priests and earthly high priests. In the weakness of the flesh. Human, we recognize. But, but. The word of the oath, which came later than the law, the word of the oath from God, the oath of God, the word of God, the declaration of God, the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There's Jesus. He's an appointed son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, and you've got to have a question of some kind because I need to take a, a pause from break. So ask me what you will about that. Or as I said, anything that you see in the book that, that I haven't covered. Yes, Larry. Come in with a mic. It sounds like the priesthood But somehow or other, the priest was appointed, but for a, only for a period of time. What qualified him to be uh, to be the high priest as against all the other priests? Yeah, but, uh-huh. and, and how long did that priesthood last? Since, well, how long did it last? Yeah. Well, most people accept that the scripture doesn't specifically say. But uh, in the writings of the, of the Jews and the, the, the historians of the Jews, it was understood that, that the, uh, that the uh, high priest stayed in office as long as he lived. Now, he could retire. You know, the Pope stays in office as long as he lives, but he can retire like one before this one is there now did. He retired. He got sick of it and gave it up. So and I guess the high priest did that. Stuff. But I know, I know it wasn't only until the death of the high priest because the scripture tells us in the time of Jesus, Caiaphas was the high priest. And Annas had been the previous high priest who was Caiaphas' father-in-law. So it was all in the family. It was, I don't know what among the uh, Levitical order made anybody higher than anybody in the Levitical order. So I, I believe, I've, I've always believed, that they just elected a person who was of high political influence, high political standing. It's a political, it's a political thing. It's almost everything is, and and so he, but he was elected by not by a vote of the people like we have a, but by a vote of the other priests, the, the Levitical priests. It was all of the priesthood was contained within those those people's the descendants of Levi. So somewhere in that, kind of like. You know, a congressman gets in and stays until he does something awful and we have to throw him out? Because uh, you can't ever vote him out, it seems like that. But, uh, but anyway, I'm being a little bit facetious. But, um, but I, I think that is the case. They, someone that, that, that earned the, had the position, and, the, and the, anybody in the family, of course, nepotism would have drawn them and give them, in, give them influence. And certainly they wanted to keep it in the family as much as they could because it was lucrative. And to be the high priest was lucrative. 
any priest was a good, was a good position to have in those days. And, uh, and it kind of all they had to do, they'd have to work in the fields or go break rocks or lay stones or anything like that. All they had to do was to take their turn in the order, and they, and they shifted. They maybe somebody might be on duty once a month. As they shifted, all the Levites, who not every Levite was a priest, but those who chose they wanted to be were. So, so uh, they 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 just rotated their service. And the Scripture says that when uh, when uh, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, was a priest. And of the tribe of Levi. So, so when he went in to perform his service, the time when he was struck dumb by the Lord, when he couldn't believe his promise, the scripture says he was, I don't remember the exact words, but he was in, he was taking his turn. He was on his shift, as, serving as priesthood at that time. Maybe they did it for 24 hours at a time, 36, I'm not sure about that. But, that, but they did rotate it. And they, depending on how many there were, and there was a lot of them, they didn't have to go, but, but every so often when they're, and the name came up to the top in the rotation. So, but the high priest was chosen uh, by the other priests among the Levites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was just a lowly, ordinary, everyday priest of Israel, Levitical priest. That's all he was. And, and he probably didn't even know the high priest. The high priest didn't know his name, probably. I don't know that. I'm just saying there was a different, there was a hierarchy. There was a hierarchy. And the high priest was at the top of it. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, Sandy. Yeah. yeah. of dying to sin, don't you mean like a dying to sin and giving up, dying to self? You could make that analogy. And it, would be, it wouldn't be literal, but I think what I meant when I said he received his priesthood by dying, he would never have been the high priest. He would never fulfill the call of the plan of God if he hadn't died. He had to die to be the high priest because he had to have shed blood, and it had to be a perfect blood, not the blood of the lamb like they had through all those centuries, but it had to be a perfect sinless blood, and his was the only one that qualified. So he had to die and shed his own blood so that by his own blood he entered into the holy place. And that's what Hebrew says. By his own blood he entered once into the holy place, not again and again and again like they did before him. He entered once into the holy place, obtained eternal redemption for us, and now because of that we can come boldly to the throne of grace through him. So I think that was what I meant when I said he had to, he had to die to be the high priest because he had to have his own blood to to effectuate that uh, that position that office that was given. Does that answer that? Okay. Next. And nobody on this side's asking anything. I know you guys are smart as everybody else. What 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 do you have to ask? Well, maybe you're smarter than everybody. Else. You don't need a question. Huh? Anyway, anything anything you can think of. 
I'm just trying to say to eleven. I'm just trying to fill up about a few more minutes of time, so they won't say, "Well, I didn't know enough to hold out as long as the people that were here last week did." <laughs> you know that's not true. I, I, I'm actually through unless you want to ask me anything else. I, I think I've, between what I've said tonight and what I've given you in that book, you can certainly understand that the priesthood of Jesus and, and how he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, you can certainly, with all of this, will certainly know that. And the reason it's important for you to know is because the devil comes to you and says, what are you doing coming to? Who are you? Who are you coming to Jesus? Get hold of the Bible and say, here I, this is who I am. I'm of the tribe of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm coming to you through my high priest. It's always been done this way, and it still is. When the priest says to you, well, I'll forgive your sins for you, he may give you some scripture to tell you why he can do that. You can say to him, oh, no, I've already got a priest. I've already got a high priest. He's already made a sacrifice of atonement for my sins. I don't need anybody else to forgive my sins. I get that done at the throne. Well, how do you get it? Well, I get there because I've got a right to go. I have a right to, I have a right to be at the throne. I have a right to come to the throne, bow before the throne, the presence of Almighty God, in the Holy of Holies, in the holiest of all, by faith and in the name of Jesus and by His blood, I can make my travel to God's holiest place, to His very throne. And that's what Hebrews tells me I'm entitled to do. I can come boldly to the throne of grace because He has obtained eternal redemption for me. Amen.